Hi everyone, welcome to Chi Alpha After Hours. We're your hosts, Cassie, Nathan, and Christian, here to take a closer look at what it means to follow Jesus on a university campus. If you've been with us for our sermon series this quarter, we've been talking about storms in the Bible, particularly the flood from Genesis 6 through 9 and the plagues of Egypt in Exodus 7 through 11. In today's episode, we're going to wrestle with the concept of God's wrath, which can sometimes be hard for us to integrate into our understanding of a good God who loves mercy. The word wrath might seem a little archaic today, but a good definition of it would be fierce anger, particularly vengeance or punishment as a consequence of anger. For example, we have the scripture 2 Kings twenty-two seventeen, Because they have forsaken me and have made offerings to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the work of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. So, this is a pretty big deal to God. Uh, We've talked a bit about the flood and the plagues, but there are definitely some other instances of significant violence in the Old Testament that are pretty relevant for this topic. Um, So we wanted to start off with uh, an example that might seem like genocide to many people, Um, In Deuteronomy 20, 16 through 17, scripture recounts God giving instructions to the Israelites about the promised land. And the scripture says, But in the cities of these peoples that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance, you shall save alive nothing that breathes, but you shall devote them to complete destruction, the Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded." So how could a loving God on one page of the Bible talk about severe consequences for killing another person, like Christian told us a couple weeks ago, and then turn around and tell the Israelites to destroy these people groups? Yeah, so I guess uh, I can go first on this kind of this hard topic. Um, So, and you know what? Johanna just did such a good job yesterday. Wasn't her sermon like so good? Yeah. On the plagues? Oh, man, that was amazing. Um. But I think, you know, on this question of, of wrath, you know, we read a, a, pa- a passage like this that talks about not sparing um, anybody from a city, including like children, maybe even sometimes livestock, you know, and, and it sounds so shocking and harsh to us um, in our modern uh, mindset. But I think it's important to contextualize it with the greater um, sense of the Bible. So, you know, um, and the better sense of God's character. So, you know, I think one thing that's important for us to realize is like, we use, we all speak in language. We all speak in human language. So, you know, I say I love my kids or um, I say that I, um, I hate, um, I hate something like I hate uh, tuna fish, you know, that's not even true. I like love tuna fish, but what is something I hate? Um, I hate the Patriots. <laughs> so, okay, I absolutely, wow. I hate the Patriots. Those um, are people. No, they're not. So, but, so, but the, the truth is, is that the Patriots, you know, when I say I hate them, I clearly don't, I'm, I'm using that word hate, and I'm not using it in the same way that I would for an evil, right? We all know that I don't really hate them. I mean, I, I wouldn't like wish harm upon them. So these words are, are flexible and they're bound in human experience. So when we read a word about God hating or God having wrath, we read in to his um, 
statement towards them, our human understanding of wrath. But the truth is, is that God hates in a completely different way than we hate. In a way, you know, it might be related or similar. But the truth is, is that God's hatred, as weird as this is going to sound, is like perfect. His, his anger is perfect. You know, our anger is capricious. Like we, somebody cuts me off on the road and I'm like, oh man, I hope that guy gets in an accident. You know, that's just like me just having a, a, a momentary like anger. God's anger is not momentary and it isn't um, just because somebody's like slighted him. His anger comes because he's perfect and he sees clearly. And so it's important for us to like put his judgment um, and everything at a, at a completely different level and that he, he has the ability to perceive correctly. You know, a friend of mine named Derek Scheid, he talked about communicating with a dog. He's trained dogs and they're amazing. They'll call, they'll come to him when he calls. He just, he knows how to communicate with them really well and train them. And he was at a friend's house who had a dog and the dog snipped at his daughter, his like infant daughter. And, and he, and Derek's like, oh, my goodness, this dog's crazy. And then the owner of the dog says, no, no, get down, get down. And he, like, holds her down, pins, her, pins the dog down. And, um, and then he, like, says, scolds the dog. And then after a couple minutes, he's like, oh, I just can't get angry at this dog forever. So he, he taps his shoulders, and the dog puts his paws on the man's shoulders, and they give a hug. And the man's like, oh, I just hugged this dog. But in dog language, like to put your paws on another dog is to assert dominance. So what he just said to this dog was, you're in charge. So it's really important for us like, to think, how does God talk about wrath and not impose our own things? Because in the instance of the dog, you know, we're trying to communicate to a dog and we're communicating something totally different. When God says he has a wrath... It isn't like human wrath. And so in the, in the instance of these cases, he sees something more clearly than we do about the Hittites, the Amorites. And we have to at some level trust his perfection, his goodness, and his ability to see right. I think Johanna did a good job yesterday of explaining how God gave the Egyptians so many chances to turn and to change the, the way that they had been going. And so I think as you were talking about trusting that God sees this perfectly, it seems like he must have given these people groups the same chances, right? Maybe not in exactly the same sequence of events, but um, seeing them over long periods of time, seeing their behavior, giving them chances to change, um, it seems like that, that sense of scale is something that we can't fully comprehend. Well, and I think an interesting thing that you say that is in Genesis 17, um, when God is making a promise to Abraham and he says, I'm going to enslave your people for 400 years. And he says, the re- and then I'm going to bring you back here. But the reason why you don't get the land right now is because the sin of the Amorites, which is one of the people in this list, hasn't reached its full measure. Hmm. So there's a sense that God is working mm-hmm. with these people, the Amorites, and he's being patient because they don't deserve punishment right now. Mm-hmm. But he sees where it's going, and they will be deserving of that. So there, even in the Bible itself, it talks about God is patient towards these people, and he's working with them. And ultimately, even though we might not understand it, there is a sense that they're going to deserve what they get. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think kind of adding to um, what Christian was saying about the, like our language and also God's perspective 
is that uh, an aspect of God is that one, as Christians, we believe that God is the authority on what is good and what is bad. Um, and it's not dissimilar from the parent-child relationship where the child trusts that the parent knows something, that the, the parent knows more than they do. And the parent, a good parent, ha- does not consider what the child is doing without the context of where they want the child to go hmm. uh, 20 years from now. Like, um, it's really interesting. I once heard from a friend uh, that uh, many other cultures, unlike America, actually uh, uh, have a stronger mindset of, like, my child is going to be an adult someday, and so I need to be, like, getting them ready to be an adult. Um, one of the tendencies in American society, and this may have changed in the last 10 years or so, but one of the tendencies in American society is, like, we need to keep our children children. We need to, like, oh, they need to be innocent. We need to protect them and stuff like that. Whereas a lot of other cultures, even in the Jewish culture, like, you think about uh, uh, a 13-year-old boy. He becomes a man at that point, Mm -hmm. and he starts, I believe, he starts working in the field at that point. And it's like, you're no longer a kid. We need to start getting you ready because you're the ones, you're the ones that are going to carry society forward. Mm -hmm. And we keep treating you like a kid. um, That's going to end up hurting the whole, the society is on the whole. And so God being the authority on what's good has in mind the long term of not just any one individual or any one culture, but the eternal like end of all things. And he is moving everything towards that. And we have to trust that. Similarly, the child should trust the parent that they are being responsible um, and they have good things in mind for their kid. Now, I think of um, instances where I've seen bad parents like get really frustrated over little things and they lose that sense of like, where is my child going? And they punish them unduly perhaps without context like I remember uh when I was a kid my mom got really upset with me I was like six or something and I said oh this sucks and I was looking at the vacuum cleaner and I was like oh yeah the vacuum sucks <laughs> and my mom sat me down and was like we, you do not say that word and I was like I started crying I was like mom I was talking about the vacuum cleaner <laughs> and and my mom relented. She was like, oh, okay, that's okay. That's different. <laughs> um, and uh, so funny. Um, what a weird observation you made. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, my, my mom relented, but, like, in some ways, like, my mom had, like, this mind. It's like, I need to teach my child how to, like, speak correctly. Mm-hmm. Now, if she had understood context and she was like, oh, no, he's talking about the vacuum cleaner, which she came to understand, she's like no, I don't need to correct my child about that. I don't need to correct my child about that. Um, And that's a good parent. Um, God, in the sense of, in this case, it seems we believe that there is a sense of, like, I have a telos, I have an end in mind for the people and not just the Amorites, the Perizzites, and all of them, but also the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, if we go back to Abraham, he says... Uh, God promises that Abraham will be the means of blessing the world. Mm-hmm. And so there is a bigger picture that God is moving everything towards. And so the employment of punishment or wrath 
is actually ultimately trying to get at that end. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, as children, those who don't know as much as God need to be trusting that God knows more, which is really hard, which Mm -hmm. admittedly is really hard. Well, and I think, you know, ultimately at the root of that thing you're saying there, Nathan, is like the trust, the trust. Like, is God trustworthy and is he... What what's he what's really behind his wrath and you know I think it's important to like when you think about the whole Bible as a whole whatever happens in the first five books is particularly like supposed to be pattern setting like the first five books of the Bible Genesis Exodus Leviticus Numbers and Deuteronomy good job thanks I'm proud of you um, those those five books are called he has a um, masters yeah, <laughs> in biblical he counted something. on his fingers though I was like da 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 yeah <laughs> I was like don't screw this up so um, but those first five books um, are known as the Torah so um, and they're or also called the law and the senses is like they're called the law because they tell us about God's character mm-hmm. they're like this foundational revelation of who God is and so in some ways, in some ways, the rest of the Bible is an unpacking of the Torah, if you think about that. Like, you know, you see the histories of, um, of the Bible, like in Kings and, and uh, Samuel, First and Second Samuel, and it's all in reference to what has been spoken in the Torah. Like, this is the foundational revelation of God, and mm-hmm. the further revelation from God in the Bible is very valid and equally important, but it's all in reference to these first five books. So it's always important to like see these as foundational ways of seeing God. And um, in Genesis 18, um, we see God judge. Um, he's getting ready to judge Sodom and Gomorrah, which is a really famous judgment, right? He rains fire on the city and destroys everybody. But previous to that, in Genesis 18, he goes and talks to Abraham and he lets Abraham know, hey, I'm going to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham's got a, he's got a, like a nephew mm-hmm. that lives there. And he's thinking, oh my goodness, my nephew's going to be toast. Like, mm-hmm. And so he starts pleading with God for the city. And he says, uh, God, you're not going to like destroy the righteous and the wicked together, are you? And uh, all of a sudden, this really epic, I I just encourage everybody listening to go read this because it's like this epic bargain where he goes and he's like, "Um," God says, I am not going to wipe away the righteous and the wicked. And Abraham says, well, what if there's 50 righteous people? And God's like, "Uh, okay, nope, I won't for 50. And he's like, well, what about 40? What about 30? (laughs) What about 15? I mean, it's almost pedantic how, how annoying it is. And and Abraham even talks like, please don't be angry with me because he just keeps trying to bargain down. And God never says, he never says, I'm annoyed that you're saying this. Mm-hmm. And he, in the end, he says, if there's five righteous people in this city, I'm not going to wipe away the righteous with the wicked. But in the end, he gets Lot, God gets Lot's family out of there. And the just, and his, yeah, Abraham's nephew and destroys the city because there aren't even five righteous people in the city. Mm-hmm. And so we're supposed to look at that example as God's commitment to having precise justice. Mm-hmm. And it's actually a huge theme in the, even the New Testament. Um, Jesus has a parable of the weeds and um, the wheat and the tares. And 
in that that's in Matthew, and he talks about let's not let's not clear this whole field, let's not harvest the whole field because we want to be able to separate correctly the righteous mm-hmm. and the wicked. We want we want to clearly see what's wheat and what's weeds. Mm-hmm. And so God has this huge huge desire for justice and for not losing um, one righteous person and mistaking them for a wicked person. So it's this huge theme throughout the whole Bible that he's deeply concerned about. I think I want to jump back, Christian, because you were saying, okay, the first five books are foundational, but I want to be careful with that and say, I don't think God is setting forth that genocide is normative, right? Like these are very specific instructions that he gives to the Israelites in this, in this case, um, and says, oh, but there's a greater purpose. And the reason is I don't want you to be sucked into their culture because mm-hmm. their culture and their worship of these false gods involves child sacrifice and other really brutal acts. And so there's a reason that these people especially you can't integrate with and still be my chosen people with the purposes that I have for you to fulfill. Mm-hmm. So I don't think God is saying genocide is normal <laughs> in God's kingdom. No, mm-hmm. no, definitely not. And I think it's it takes a lot of like study and it takes a lot of like of work on our part to figure out how to like interpret and see God's revealed character, right? Like anyone can, you know, the Bible has been used a lot of different ways to justify a lot of wrathful things, mm-hmm. you know. Hitler would use the Bible when it suit him. Mm-hmm. Um, Stalin would use the Bible when it would suit him. I mean, a lot of tyrants, and they would use examples like ones that you're saying. And so, yeah, I think it's very important for us to see, Mm -hmm. to be able to learn how to, like, discern God's character throughout the Bible. And, and, like, even seeing that, like, God probably, God definitely did not prefer slaughtering these nations. That's evident that we can see in God's character. But for some reason that maybe we can't very well comprehend— God saw that as the just right option. And that's God's prerogative. That's not really our prerogative, Mm -hmm. right? We're not supposed to be in the place of judgment over Mm -hmm. others. Um, So, yeah, I think that's a great observation. And I think when we look at passages like this, like I've talked to a lot of people who um, read a short verse like this and they're like saying, they say something to the effect of like, see, God is like wrathful and mean. And like, how does this work if God's merciful and he's wrathful here? And one of the things, and we talked about this a little bit last week is like, without context, you really can't understand any specific text. So like in this passage, it doesn't mention that God waited for the Amorites' uh, sin, I think it is, to fully come to fruition. It's actually, I think, in a previous book, even. Yeah, it's 400 it's, years before. It's, it's 400 years before. And yeah. while the Bible can trans move through years very quickly, it's not in Deuteronomy. It's in another book. And so biblical scholars, when they study this subject, they're actually not looking at the specific passage only. They're looking at, like, well, what else has God said about the Amorites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and all these things? Hmm. They're looking at the whole rather than the, the the particular. Well, and they look at the particular. They look at the specific Hebrew that's being used. But to understand the specific Hebrew that's being used, you have to look at all the places that the, that Hebrew was used. Yeah. So um, it's just a very important thing for us in like trying to understand God's character, looking at it in context. Similarly, like... You can't, 
Christian wears Crocs 365 days out of the year, and he's very proud of that. That's right. Um, but some people might misjudge Christian as being like a hobo or something, and or what? not being very intelligent. Like uh, we met someone a while ago who I introduced Christian. I was like, "Oh, have you met Christian before?" And the guy's like, "Oh, yeah, no, I've never met him." And uh, this guy had kids and all this stuff, and. This guy is totally not guessing that Christian has four kids and he's the director of a ministry. He thought he was just this random guy I knew that maybe lived in the house. And this guy's like, what? Without context, he didn't understand that Christian is actually like, oh, no, Christian actually is a responsible adult who just really loves wearing Crocs 365 (laughs) days out of the year. And so, like, similarly to understand God, you have to have, like, context. You actually have to read things and and see how they connect to one another and actually getting a whole picture. Mm -hmm. I think we should move on to the next topic. But before we do, I think also as as you read through and put it in context, there are examples later on of, oh, some people from these people groups survived and weren't totally Mm -hmm. destroyed. And so in some sense, like, the language might be maybe exaggerating a bit here in terms of you need to destroy everyone or we don't know exactly. No. Um, so that's no, that, complicated. That was a, it's, just, it's a genre thing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's the way that, it, you know, it's a judgment text. So mm-hmm. it's like God's judgment. It's, a, it's its own genre in a sense. And that's the way the old, that's the way the ancient world talked, mm-hmm. you know, just, and we destroyed them completely, you know, and well, that, and maybe that's not exactly even the point. Mm-hmm. That they are completely destroyed. But the point is that God's exercising judgment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so there's this other passage. I was reading through Second Kings the other day, and I came across it, and I'm like, what is happening? So I would love for us to talk about it, because um, it's confusing. So the passage is Second Kings 2, verses 23 through 25, and it reads, He went up there, uh, so he is Elisha, he went up from there to Bethel, And while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. So they're calling him Baldy. And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore forty-two of the boys. From there, Elisha went on to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. So he seems pretty unfazed, and I just want to ask, what is going on here? Because that seems pretty extreme from for some very weak insults. Yeah, I think um, honestly, there's this is like probably this is considered like a really hard passage in the Bible to understand. And I think what's hard about it is there's a lot of a lot of pieces that are are difficult. For one, you know, you got a you got an odd group of forty two boys outside of a city. Forty two youths, I think, is actually the right term. So. Boys actually might be a little, you know, I don't know if we're talking about, you know, three to eight year olds here. I think mm-hmm. we're talking probably, you know, teenagers, 14, you know, yeah, 12 mm-hmm. to 20 year olds, maybe even, you know, mm-hmm. they might be, they might be considered men at one level, but they're also youths. So it's like, it's this gray area, teenager. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, and they're, they're teasing him. And, um, but then they get these bears just sicked on them. So there's, there's just so much going on. And what exactly does this insult mean? What kind of intention? We don't really know like the whole story of what's going on. 
Um, but one thing we do know in the context is that Elisha, by this point in Second Kings, his life had been threatened multiple times already. Hmm. And that God had delivered him in similar ways, um, miraculously, from the people that were going to hurt him. And so I think, now this is going to sound weird, but the, the original audience would have read this book and been like, man, God is able to save his people. Hmm. They would not have thought, oh, those poor children. <laughs> That's not the way that they would have read it. Mm-hmm. Because the point of the story is about God's provision and his power and about his ability to protect. Now, I don't understand exactly what what is so threatening about the bald headness or where they throw in stuff at. I don't understand the whole story. It, it's like I don't get the context. I'm I'm assuming that would have been more clear to the original audience. I think I think the we have to realize the main point here is about God's deliverance hmm. and about his ability to protect and read it in the context of that. So we don't know what the answer is, but we sort of know what the answer is not. I think so. Like, yeah, God isn't just capriciously being like, don't call my bro bald. Wrath. You know, like that's not what he's doing, you know. <laughs> I think that's actually a really, um, there's a very reoccurring thing throughout the Bible of like, there are these people that God has And he calls his own and there's like this aspect of him that's like, I'm not going to let people take advantage of them. Like if they are mine, they're not going to be taken advantage of. Hmm. Um, So with Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, he's like, well, no, he's the righteous man. So I'm not going to destroy him. I'm going to get him out. Um, And, uh, you know, Elijah, Elijah, not Elisha, you know, he's rescued from several attempts on his life. Um, and there's this sense of like, no, you're mine. I'm going to protect you. And um, it's a, it is a reoccurring theme. And so it's a really interesting thing to say, Christian, that the Old Testament reader would have been like, oh no, this is a statement of like, if I'm the Lord's, he's going to take care of me. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that was helpful. That was just a very odd passage to come across in the middle of everything else in that context. That's a weird one. I knew knew a guy that tattooed that on his leg. What? Yeah, I knew an atheist who tattooed that on his leg about how God isn't good. Oh. So, but now it's ironic because he's like, isn't this a horrible story? And then he's got it on his leg forever, which is like, (laughs) what? Anyway. Uh, that's all there is to say about that. That's that's it. I think the principle of trying to understand the Bible based on what's clear rather than what's not is helpful here. Yeah. Right? Like we mm-hmm. can't draw that much from this passage because mm-hmm. we don't understand it. Mm-hmm. So we have to look at the things that are clear. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot culturally. Mm-hmm. Our, our cultural understanding of what's happening at the time is, is low. Mm-hmm. And, and it's been lost over time. So... I think, yeah, and I think a, an important thing in reading scripture is also just, um, and engaging anything you don't understand um, is approach it as though it did make sense to the people that it was written to mm-hmm. at the time and understand that and kind of give it some charity. When you read it, when you study it, like understand that it's like it was meant to make sense 
it wasn't written to be weird and like esoteric. It was actually meant to make sense. It may not be easy to understand, but a lot of things in life are not easy to understand. Physics, for example. Or God. (laughs) Yeah, let's... God. Um, Okay. So looking at these passages, some of us might read them and go, wait, like, why does God think and act like that toward human beings who are made in his image? Um, especially in the Old Testament. Like, we don't see God wreaking havoc on Rome um, in the way that he does on these people groups from Deuteronomy um, or other nations in the New Testament. And Jesus is always talking about mercy. So it kind of seems like God's character is inconsistent between the two testaments. So what would you say to that? So one thing that's interesting is, like, in the case of the Deuteronomy passage, God is using one nation to judge another nation. Mm -hmm. And in fact, he does the same thing to Israel later when Israel's unfaithful and, and it doesn't um, live up to its covenant with God. He uses the Babylonians and the Assyrians. And later, you know, the, yeah, I think, I think mostly them and then the Greeks even, like there's a sense that he does use other nations to judge Israel. Mm-hmm. And and then we see in the New Testament, man, God's wrath is actually very present. Um, you know, you have the case of Annas and Ananias and Sapphira in Acts, where mm-hmm. they lie to Peter, and Peter says, "God is gonna get you guys," and they die. Mm-hmm. You know, right yeah. there. And you even have people that aren't, you know, in Corinthians, they aren't taking the Lord's Supper with the right um, reverence or in the right attitude, and they die. Mm-hmm. And he says, some of you guys have fallen asleep because the wrong way that you've taken this this element. And so God's justice is very, very present in the New Testament. I, I would kind of add to what you're saying, Christian, in um, like the examples of wrath in the New Testament. Even Jesus like displays some level of like wrath, I think, in, in, a, in a way. It doesn't result in people's death. But like there's the instance of him clearing the temple with a whip. It's mm-hmm. like you are defiling my house of worship, the house of worship, uh, God's house of worship. You're defiling it and you need to get out. Um, There's countless examples of Jesus rebuking uh, the Pharisees for being Pharisaical um, and also rebuking Sadducees and many other people, which I know it doesn't result in... um, people's death, but it's still an act of his judgment. Mm-hmm. It's still an act of God's judgment, really. Um, and I think we have a tendency to be say that Jesus is like, oh, well, Jesus was so kind and merciful, which is completely 100% true. But there's definitely times where he says things that are very judgmental, very condemnative. He doesn't simply condemn adultery. He goes to say, if you start thinking about a woman lustfully, that's adultery. Mm-hmm. He pushes the bar even higher. And he makes the judgment even firmer. And people tend to neglect, I think, um, or not pay attention to. I don't want to say neglect, but not pay attention to the fact that Jesus has these moments where he is very clearly against stuff and very judgmental towards people and is very clear about what the result is. You know, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yeah. You know. I think we have a tendency to try and simplify the gospel narrative, mm-hmm. both in the New Testament and the to- the Old Testament, from what you were saying. Like, we want Jesus to be all about mercy and to be mm-hmm. able to preach that. 
but the things he says are actually really complicated. Mm -hmm. And so we have this justification and we have that in the Old Testament too, where I think it's easy to be like, whoa, look at all this extreme violence. Look at how, how judgy Mm -hmm. God is. But then you miss the mercy narrative Mm -hmm. too. And so when we teach that, I think it's important to say to people, like, actually there was both Mm -hmm. here and there's both here as well. Like mercy in the Old Testament. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's mercy in the Old Testament and there's also judgment in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And we can't just pick Mm -hmm. one because God's more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think an example of that might be of the mercy in the Old Testament, you know, so the Amorites had their sin had not come to full fruition and God gave them 400 years. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of mercy, but it's glazed over very quickly. And we were like, the shock value is all in the, like, you're going to die. Like my judgment has come. So thinking about these things, everything we've talked about today, practically, why do we need to integrate God's wrath into our understanding of his character, even when it's easier not to? I think one thing that is important about God's wrath and his judgment and his justice ultimately is about us realizing we're not the ones in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, and that there's a standard that God has for the world and that there's a justice. Like God's definition of de- justice is probably, is definitely different than Christian Anderson's view of what is just. Yeah. And we should all be thankful for that because if I was the one doing all the justice, people would be really upset and it wouldn't be very fair. But God has a more perfect justice and that there's humility that we need to have. And there's a, a real fear. Like, and I don't, I'm not saying like we need to be like afraid of God in the sense of um, terrified and shaking. I mean, we can have confidence to go to God, but a fear that we're not the ones in charge and that God, we need to be respectful and give deference to God and trust his views more than our own and um, hear his words as authoritative, his commands as more important than our own desires or our own agendas. Us characterizing Jesus as only love and for us and God as a God of love, when we, when we overemphasize that too much, God becomes kind of a Santa Claus figure mm-hmm. or just a comforter or just somebody that's there for you and wants to help you actualize your life. But God, that isn't actually who Jesus is. Like, that's not who God is. He is the creator. And he's made us, and authoritatively, as our, as we're his creation, he has a right to tell us how we should and shouldn't live. And ultimately, he's the one that's pruning in the garden and saying, hey, this is a fruitful vine and this one's not a fruitful vine. And if we aren't living the way that God's called us to live, he totally is justified in throwing us away. But praise the Lord that he's way more merciful than that. And he says, you know what? You don't live up to it, and I'm even going to give you a way out. And that's why Jesus came, right? He came to, even though we don't live up to it, and even though we're not fruitful, if we trust in Jesus, if we go to him, he's going to forgive us. But that's forgiveness. It's not like something we deserve. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the difference is like when we forget the wrath and the justice of God that we don't really deserve this. Yeah. I think also like an aspect of God's wrath that's really important is like, like I remember when I was a kid, my sister would get grounded for, for uh, not being very nice to me, let's say that. And, <sighs> uh, and she would get grounded for a couple days. And I remember my mom 
and my dad at times. My sister would calm down a day later and she'd go up to them and be like, hey mom, can we, can I have my grounding like alleviated? And I would watch this happen. And my parents would be like, yeah, you've done really well the last few days. Mm. And I'm like, what are you doing? (laughs) I am so frustrated with my parents for Mm. like relenting because I was like, she does this all the time. She's all sweet for like a day and then she's, sorry, still feelings. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, But the, but I think there's a sense of like, there's an act of like, we are, as an authority, I am communicating what I care about Mm. to the people I care about by saying, like, I am punishing what's wrong. And that is, I think on some level, it's like, that's what we, I think on a very real human level, it's like we want people to be punished for harming us, Mm -hmm. for, like, whether that's directly or indirectly. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't have a problem with sending people to jail or prison because they've done, when they've done something wrong. I think that's really is part of the heart heart of God, it's like, I, I need to make sure that the people I, who are mine know that I protect them. I think everything you guys said is what I would have said, so I'm going to echo that. And I think also we need to integrate this into our understanding because it's messy and because it means that when we're communicating, we need to, we need to wrestle with passages that don't make sense to us and we need to explore those and not just skip over the stuff that we can't immediately explain that's in the Bible. Um, I think that's important. And so I think I see this topic, especially as an invitation to wrestle with God and to try and understand him better, um, especially when that's not easy to do. And I think God calls us to that and says, don't just accept the easy answers, but like come to me and continue to trust me and we'll figure this out in the context of relationship. So let's end there for today. Christian and Nathan, thanks for joining me. That was fun. Um, And if you're out there listening, thanks for wrestling with us. Feel free to email us with comments, questions, or topic suggestions at social at OregonStateXA.com or reach out to one of us in person. We would love to talk about this with you. Uh, Next week, we'll be talking about hearing God's voice, which I am super excited for. Have a great week, all of you. And remember, God's wrath is always tempered by his ongoing mercy. 